I'm Colin Perry, and this is my podcast, Life, Death, and Tarot. Welcome to La Petite Mortisode number eight. People are not toxic. People are human. Today we're going to talk about something, this idea of like toxic, being toxic, calling other people toxic, labeling things as toxic, and why from a thanatological perspective that can be a little bit problematic and it is possible uh, for that to create barriers and separation from you and the rest of the people in your life. I will get into that in a little bit. Um, First, I want to tell you where I am. Right now, I'm in Vancouver, Canada. And uh, yesterday, I spoke with my business partner. We did the keynote for the British Columbia Funeral Association's annual conference. Um, And it was fantastic. It was so much fun. Um, The conference this year here has a theme of like lights, camera, action. Um, And so all of their like after parties and the dinners, they're all themed like red carpet style awards. Um, So I had a blast packing my suitcase for this because I got to bring all my fancy dresses and all my sparkly shoes. And um, yesterday when Paul and I spoke, um, I wore this like this Badgley Mishka like wiggle dress and I have a pair of heels that are like studded in sparkly shiny (laughs) rhinestones and you know we started this at 10 30 in the morning so I'm all glammed up and then Paul my partner he had um a fantastic he had a bow tie on that had skulls on it and then he had all of his buttons on his like tuck shirt were skull heads so we had a great time with that um and it's absolutely beautiful here in Vancouver and I just have to say the people of British Columbia are extremely welcoming and kind and it is so nice that not only do I have the opportunity to travel for my job but I get to travel to places where the people are so wonderful. Couple little homework things. Um, Please guys, if you can take a minute, rate us and review us on iTunes. Um, I have to tell you last week I had that I know of, I two, I think two or three people who took the time to reach out to me or who joined the Facebook group. And um, when you join the Facebook group, group, I ask, how did you hear about us? Um, because that helps me know how people are finding me. And they're answering the questions, like this, the that question, and they say that they found the podcast because of a review, because they were looking in the iTunes store for something to listen to. So that's the biggest, most wonderful, fabulous thing that you can do. If, if, so if you listen to an episode and it was useful, please consider throwing me a rating or a review. I'd really, really, really appreciate it. 
And speaking of the Facebook group, you can join. It's free. It is facebook.com slash groups slash life death tarot. That's it. That's the Facebook group. It'll pull it right up. If you also go to the Life Death Tarot Facebook page, you'll find a link to the group there as well. Um, So the group has been really fun. It's only existed for like a couple weeks. Um, And Shannon Feltis and Bonnie Dutch are helping me sort of, um, you know, help it like learn to walk (laughs) because when I just created it, it was like crawling. Um, so now it's starting to walk. So Facebook groups growing up a little bit, which is good. Um, the tarot by mail, this is $10 and you get in the mail in a slightly larger size envelope, a mat that gives you instructions because you also get three actual real life, real deal tarot cards. And so a lot of you listen and you're interested in tarot, but you, you know, don't necessarily want to go and seek out a tarot reader and go deal with all that. So what's cool is you can do tarot by mail for yourself or a friend, get three tarot cards, pull the cards yourself. And then I list a couple resources that you can um, check out to find out what the meanings of the cards are. And what's so cool is then people pop into the Facebook group, they post a picture of the cards that they got, and then they explain what the cards mean to them. And it's just, it's like, it's just really cool. Um, I know I'm enjoying seeing those posts and I think everybody else is too. So that's been fun. Um, I also have a few tarot earrings left. Um, I'm definitely not going to do another run of those anytime soon. Um, And so the tarot earrings, they're $18 a pair. Um, We designed, produced, and packaged them in-house. And they were like the components were manufactured in the United States. Um, So there's a pair of earrings for every suit in the tarot deck. So there's pentacles, swords, wands, and cups. And um, the idea is... So if you have like, I don't know, let's say that I this morning, let's say that I pull a cup card and it resonates and I want to have I want to keep that thought in my head all day or just remind myself of it, then you then I might grab those cup earrings and wear those. Um, There's also the Life Death Tarot card, like the official LDT card earrings. And then there's moons and then there's hands as well. Hands appear in tarot a lot, and they have a lot of symbolism attached to them as well. Um, Also, two upcoming travel dates. I will be in Dallas, June, I think, 18th, 19th, and then I'll be in Atlanta, June 20th and 21st. Would love to uh, do something with the podcast. Um, I am a social human being. I enjoy meeting people face to face and hanging out and talking. So I was thinking I would try to find like a cool restaurant or something um, that I was that I want to go to let you guys know. And then for any of you who are in the Dallas area or Atlanta area, let's meet up. I think it would be fun. So okay, so that's the homework side of things. And now we're going to get started talking about this concept of toxicity. I would like to present an argument to you for consideration. So pretend that I'm writing all this up, putting it in a manila envelope that I'm sliding onto your desk and I'm sliding it onto your desk before you go to lunch on Friday so that when you come back to your desk, you see it and you're like, oh, oh, what is this? 
and then you uh, take it home for the weekend because I want you to chew on this. I want you to chew on this for a few days. And then when you pop back in the office on Monday, I'm going to swing by your office and I'm going to say, what'd you think? What did you think? And here it is. We need to stop calling other people toxic. We all need to stop doing that. And I'm going to tell you why. And I'm going to break down some of the functions that are occurring behind that. And all of this is coming from my work in thanatology. So this is, I guess, applied thanatology. How can we take something from the field of thanatology and then apply it to our lives to make our own lives better so that we can actually be happier, lighter, and brighter? So guys, let's get going because this sounds excited, right? Okay, toxic. How many of you have seen on a magazine cover sort of like those cover lines that are like, five ways your best friend is a toxic bitch. Um, Or there's quizzes that are like, find out how toxic you are. Or like, um, oh, there's always toxic toxic articles about how all of your ex-boyfriends and ex-girlfriends are clearly, obviously just toxic human beings. And um, first of all, that's all bullshit. Let me tell you why. Because... here, here are things that are toxic. Um, sludge is toxic. Nuclear waste. That is toxic. And the shit that is inside of glow sticks. That is definitely toxic. Here are things that are not toxic. Human beings. People are not toxic. Human does, does not equal toxic sludge. And so first and foremost, there's a problem, number one, with that word. That's a really terrible, nasty thing to say or call somebody else. Emotions. I'm going to lay some groundwork here with this. So emotions um, and at end of life or when... um, When, let's say that you have a loved one that is dying, like your mom is dying, your dad is dying, your little sister is really sick and might die, you're experiencing some form of anticipatory grief. That means that you know there's going to be a loss, so you sort of like start the grieving process because you know it's coming. So what happens then is a lot of times our emotions get kicked into overdrive, and it's like a magnifying glass is over every single emotion during those intense periods of life, like your sad is just sadder. And then your mad is like fury and rage. It's just amplified. So one of the things that helps anybody usually be able to cope better with high stress situations, anticipated loss, just those moments in life where you're like, shit is real, is understanding and thinking of your emotions, no matter what they are, as like the weather because emotions are so if a human being is its own little planet your emotions are the atmosphere your emotions are the weather and those things change and shift right but all of them blow over but the earth is not the weather the earth is not the clouds the earth is not always rain. The earth is not always sunshine. So 
start to try to have a relationship with the idea that your emotions are not you. They're just a layer that, you know, floats across and around you from time to time. It's important to have a relationship with your own emotions, not defining who you are, but being a part of you, you know, something that you have to, you find out that uh, you have a real intense meeting at work at 2 p.m. So you need to dress for that weather, you know what I mean, so to speak. So you need to make sure that you get a good night's sleep the night before, Um, don't watch Nightmare on Elm Street the night before a really intense meeting. You know, set yourself up for success. Just like when you know it's going to rain at 2 o'clock in the afternoon, you try to grab an umbrella when you leave for work in the morning so that you're prepared. This relates to this toxic concept because sometimes we all can define ourselves by our emotional state. By saying, oh, well, I'm a happy person. I am always a happy person. I never get sad. So do you know what happens to the permanently happy person who experiences sadness? They usually end up blaming themselves and trying to reject it and avoid it. And then you end up with sort of unhealthy coping mechanisms. This does connect to this toxic conversation. And it's important to understand here is a possible way that you can look at your emotional state. So this is a little foundation piece. Number one, in Mortisode number eight, people are not toxic. People are human. All right. Calling other people toxic. First of all, that's judgy. Because you're looking at someone else's life, whether it's someone you know, someone you don't know, but you're pointing at them and being like, Joe is toxic. That's problematic because it leaves no room for compassion and it creates room for pity. So if I point at Joe and I go, oh, Joe, listen, Joe's, Joe's a toxic guy. I mean... First of all, his his life's a mess, and to be honest, it's his own fault. And honestly, I feel bad for Joe. In what I just might like acted out for you, there was. <laughs> did you hear any sense of compassion in my voice? No. So any time that that you're kind of labeling someone else as toxic, you're you're not being compassionate towards the person, and compassion, this word, is the ability to understand that someone is human because you too are human. And it is a skill that does require a little bit of development. Um, You know, we're not born being sort of compassionate individuals. It's something that we learn throughout our lifetime. And compassion, when we practice compassion for other people, it actually, it actually is like, um, imagine that your heart is all dried out. It's crusty. Compassion is like really high quality lotion. It's going to hydrate that heart up. It's going to make it look all smooth and shiny. It's going to feel really good. That's what compassion does for our own hearts when we show compassion for other people. Now, I would argue that 
and hear me out. I'm not trying to be mean, but let me just say this. So if you call someone else toxic, I'd argue that perhaps you're the toxic person because you're the one pointing the finger. And when we blame other people, there's a theory. Anytime that you point a finger and blame somebody else and say, oh, well, if Cole hadn't done this, then all of this other stuff wouldn't happen. And all of this is Cole's fault. So blame is attached to our own sense of shame. There's a theory that argues that anytime we blame somebody else, it is a reaction to our own feeling of shame. For example, if Joe is toxic, that means that I can avoid looking at how I haven't been present for Joe. I haven't made any effort to check in on him, see if I can help. Because, I mean, he's toxic, so he doesn't deserve that. So there's a little bit of a shame thing there. Um, We use blame so that we don't have to feel our own shame about how we behaved or didn't behave or about how we're withholding showing support or being present for other people. We also call other people toxic as a result of our own reaction to the world being scary or out of control. Humans have an innate need for security and um, the world can be safer if we can point at other people who are likely dealing with difficult things or didn't handle a situation well. And it's easier if we can point at them and be like, well, all of those people are toxic and I'm not toxic and that's why my life is better, aka safer. It gives us a false sense of security. Um, I'd like to share a personal example with you because I know that it's helpful for me when I listen to podcasts or listen to people talk. I like to know a little bit about what their background is and what their life has been like because it's just so much more meaningful and authentic when you know like a real deal example attached to the voice that is being pumped into your ears. So I was assaulted four years ago and um, I endured constant harassment because I decided to press charges and I was not not doing that and so I also had harassment from my assaulter but also from individuals that were acting on behalf of my assaulter because they were trying to get me to shut up okay so when this happened and I live in a small town so there's like, you know, rumors were occurring. They were like, oh my God, oh my God, do you, what happened to Cole? And like, oh, they're like, oh. So I had people that were in my life that were friends, they were, that were colleagues, people that I was volunteering with in my community. They cut me out. They cut me out. And here's why. It's easier to believe that I somehow contributed or caused my own assault than it is to believe that it could happen to you. It is really, so one of the things that I struggled with most initially after the assault happened and then all of the harassment from my assaulter and the people acting on his behalf was like my sense of the the world being safe or secure like was shattered because 
you know, I have a security system in my house and I don't go walking around at 3 a.m. by myself with $800 cash in my purse. You know, like I was doing all of the things so that that kind of stuff wouldn't happen to me. And then it happened to me. So when a bunch of other people witnessed this happening to me, it, it made them feel safer to be able to blame me for it happening. Because that means that, oh, I am not living in a world in which I can be the victim of a crime. But she is. It's this, it creates a false sense of security. Um, with the Me Too movement and um, survivors sharing stories, one of the things that you'll probably pick up on is that, uh, is victim blaming. So someone gets assaulted, somebody is a victim of a crime, and you'll see people that are like, well, if you hadn't uh, done X, Y, or Z, then maybe that wouldn't have happened. And um, God, wouldn't it be great if it was that easy? It's not. It's not that easy. And anytime you see those statements, um, usually they're made as a reaction of that own person's fear that the world has someone in it that you don't know that could hurt you. Thanatology can make us better, can make us better human beings. The more compassion that we have, the more capable we are of being present. And the more present we are, the less time we spend living in the past, which is rumination, or living in the future, which is worry. And the past and the future don't actually exist anymore or yet because only the present exists. And we know that when people report, when somebody can say that they feel present, that they're better able to just be in the now and that they're not spending their time sitting there reliving the past or worrying about stuff that could maybe possibly happen in the future. We know that those people have a higher sense of happiness and fulfillment in their day-to-day life. And, oh my God, this is exciting. When people feel more happiness and a greater sense of fulfillment in their day-to-day life, we also know that they're more likely to have a sense of meaning or purpose in their day-to-day life as well. And then that makes you happier. We know that somebody feels better about every aspect of their life when they know that there's a reason for it, when they know that there's a purpose. And my sense of meaning and purpose is different than yours. And don't judge it. Like whatever makes you happy or feel like there's meaning, jump on that. Um, To relate this even more, we know that when somebody feels and identifies something that makes their life have meaning, they are happy. So they go hand in hand. And the key to kind of get into that loop is anytime you catch yourself ruminating and anytime you catch yourself worrying in the future, stop, get out of it, look at the present, what is cool and awesome about what you're doing right now. So my proposal here, and this is informed from the field of thanatology, because there's nothing more sobering, there's nothing more, there's nothing that will cut out the, clean up the grease of life than when you are witness to a death. 
because it puts everything into perspective. If we take responsibility for identifying that our propensity to call other people toxic is problematic, we can learn to turn that into a trigger to practice compassion instead. And then practicing compassion puts us on the path to happiness, which puts us on the path to having a real sense of meaning and fulfillment and purpose in life. So let's try to program this trigger into our brains. Anytime that you want to point at somebody and be like, that bitch is toxic, flip it to how can I practice compassion towards her? People are not toxic. People are human. In the La Petite Mortisode number three, which was called What We Reject in Others We Often Don't Allow in Ourselves, this connects to this, to this Mortisode in particular. Sometimes labeling someone else's toxic is us actually not allowing something within ourselves. Vulnerability is a really common trigger for people. And I would argue, based on my work in thanatology, that vulnerability and toxicity, this calling people toxic thing, is connected. So imagine that you have someone who is your friend or a coworker, and that person exhibits like real raw vulnerability. Maybe they're at work and they tell a, a small group of co- coworkers that they're getting a divorce. Maybe they start crying. And maybe you start to feel real uncomfortable because you're like, hey, buddy, we're at work. Why are you talking about your personal life? But the reality is, is people are human beings, even if they're at work. And instead of trying to reject that person, um, exhibiting vulnerability, what you should be doing is trying to practice compassion for them. Because we also know that within workplaces, when there is space for humans to be human, people feel better about the work culture and work-life balance and better about their jobs and often can then attribute a greater sense of meaning to whatever the work is that they're doing. Now, I I wanna ask you a question. Are you somebody that is comfortable with being vulnerable to others? Like, do you ever allow yourself to be vulnerable to your friends or coworkers or family? Like, have you literally ever talked about something really painful? If you cried, you let yourself cry in front of these other human beings. There are, um, at least culturally in the United States, we're not really great with this because we sort of idealize this sort of lone ranger cowboy figure. And um, cowboys um, don't go into the bars and the saloons to talk about their feelings. So we then also kind of try to embody that in ourselves. Um, So if you don't allow yourself to be vulnerable... When you see another person being vulnerable, it's very common for your reaction to be to shut it down, to be to be like, she is so emotional or she makes it all about her. Um, One of the most common things that I see in these articles about how to identify toxic people, um, one of them will be this person expresses their emotions and makes it all about them. Um, that's not toxic. That's being a human being because everybody, like I said, everybody has a weather forecast every single day of their lives. 
So that so that's normal. And we don't want to vilify what is normal because that's not going to get anybody anywhere good. Look at yourself and look at yourself for how are you protecting yourself from your own fear of vulnerability by calling other people toxic or blaming them um, for being a full human. That is ass backwards. And anytime that you do that, you're not leaving room for compassion for the person that you're labeling as toxic. And compassion is a gift that you give to other people. But most importantly, it's a gift that you give yourself. People are not toxic. People are human. So your homework is look at someone that you have had in your life that you might have called toxic. Um, I can tell you that my the assault was like four years ago. Okay, so over the past several years, um, there are individuals who labeled me as toxic because of that. I have nothing at this point, and it took me a long time to get here, but I have learned how to practice compassion for that. Because I recognize that what happened to me means that that there is chaos in the world. It means that it could happen to you. And sometimes we all want to live in our little hermit crab shells, which is we think it makes us safe, but it really doesn't ultimately make us safe at all. It's kind of like a little bit of a lie that we tell ourselves. So I have learned how to practice compassion for my assaulter, for the individuals who are acting on behalf of my assaulter. I don't label them as toxic because they are human beings. And if they had an opportunity to have perspective on the situation, I would pretty much guarantee that they wish that they could take it all back and just be able to have a rate, like erase it and have it not occur because It didn't help anything. It didn't make anything better. And nobody wants to be someone that is shitting into life. Nobody wants to to be that person. Humans are not toxic. Humans are people. You're a people. There's nothing toxic about you. Um, One other note. So when somebody has a traumatic experience occur in their lives, it creates a domino effect, usually for between the next three to seven years significantly. So there's a pattern that we look at in thanatology and in some other fields where we identify a major traumatic event. Maybe you miscarried. Maybe you had a stillbirth. Maybe you were assaulted. Maybe you had a child die or a parent die. Anytime a major traumatic event occurs, what happens is you have an immediate reshuffling in your life. So let's say that you have a spouse die, drop dead overnight. You wake up the next morning and the rug has been pulled out from under you. So you have to immediately deal with the practicalities of, okay, my sp- I don't have a spouse anymore. Now I'm a widow. Um, now I have to do all the bills. Now I have to do all the grocery shopping. And so you end up figuring out in the immediacy how to get your life done that two people shared the, responsib- the, the responsibility for. 
Well, six months later, you realize that the dream house that you guys have been living in um, is no longer your dream house because your spouse is dead. So now you need to move. You need to get out. Um, The house is too big. It's too much for you to deal with. You also just kind of want a smaller life as you're grieving and recovering. So then you move. Well, then you move. And let's say that you decide to rent. And now you have a crazy neighbor who is crazy. And you're having to deal with all the difficulties that come with that. So Here's here's the connection we see. One major traumatic event usually begets other difficult moments because you're having to reshuffle and reorganize every aspect of your life. So here's your homework in this case. Think about someone in your life who has had a major traumatic event in the last few years and maybe you can look at that person and be like gosh she's really toxic she seems like ever since that happened it was five years ago but she's still she's still doing this she's getting upset about this now this is a problem if it's not something it's something else this is a normal aftermath. It's like an avalanche. Um, one major traumatic event is an avalanche in your life. And it takes months and years to clear away all that snow and to assess the damage and to decide if you even want to still live where you were living before. And what we do and what these magazines and stupid articles teach people to do is just to call the reality of human life of being human as toxic. I argue that that's a problem and that that we need to stop doing that. And instead, we need to practice compassion. Instead, and, and here's here's one thing that you can do. So if you have someone in your life that you have a close relationship with or where this might be appropriate, maybe talk about it and be like, hey, Cole, I know that you were assaulted four years ago and then you dealt with over a year of all of this harassment and the trial and all that kind of stuff. And I know that since then, you've also made a lot of changes and like I I just see all of that. And I just want you to know that I admire that you're still standing and that you're still moving forward and that you've worked to become better. That would be something that would be very soothing and kind to my heart because it doesn't blame me. It doesn't blame me for anything. And what it is, is it's compassion. It is the feeling of, um, when I, when I was really into the yoga world, um, and I definitely went through a full on yoga Ayurveda phase, um, there was this meditation that was always described about, you know, when you're practicing compassion, what's happening is there's a thread that is being pulled between my heart and your heart. And that's the thread of compassion. And that's kind of like a visual for what it should feel like. But if someone is pointing at me and saying, oh, she's toxic, that's just, you're sickening my heart and you're sickening your own heart. So if we all want to have healthy hearts, we all need to stop labeling anything, any human being as toxic because they're not. We're just human. We're all just trying to figure things out. And statistically, everybody has some kind of major traumatic event in life. And you've got to treat other people the way that you want to be treated. And we need to not lie to ourselves and think that, 
difficult moments in life are as easy as not going out of the house at 2 a.m. or, oh, you shouldn't have been carrying money in your purse or blaming, basically. That's all blaming. So this is what I want to present to you. I encourage all of us to stop calling other people toxic. I told you why. It comes from a thanatological perspective. And so what happens is is we have to replace negative behaviors. So let's say that we all are going to try to stop calling other people toxic and we're going to start trying to feel compassion for those people instead, which is honestly going to provide us even more of a benefit because it might put us on the pathway to feeling really good and happy and satisfied with our own lives. This is La Petite Mortisode number eight. Thank you all so much for listening. I love that I get to record this as I'm overlooking this water here in Vancouver, Canada. Life is magical. Life is wonderful. Life is rich. Life is special. And I'm very grateful for every single one of you that listen to these podcasts that I get to post and am privileged enough to be able to share. So until next week, uh, bye.